So once again, welcome. And as I was saying, I, I so appreciate just taking some time to hear from all of you a little bit about where your hearts are. And this evening, I, I'd like to begin with um, an experience I had. This is just trying to do the math. Over over 30 years ago, I was briefly in London, London, England, and I was uh, briefly in a community and it was still a community that inspires me. And what the community was, is it was uh, a community of volunteers like me living together in community with people who were living on the streets or had been living on the streets. And what made this community unique, at least at that, that time in London, and you know, might have changed quite a bit over 30 years, the value that this community had, which was different than many of the services that were around for people living on the streets, uh, was to realize that human beings have more than just the need for food, water, shelter, clothing, and relative safety. There's another really important need, and that's the need for community. And what I mean by that, it's, it's, this, it's a human need to be recognized for who we are and how we are. So important, because we're all unique in so many ways, to, to be recognized, to be understood. Important to, to have connections where others can understand us and to be appreciated. And it was powerful to, to come in, into community where those were these values and to meet those needs as best we could. And, and what strikes me about this path of the Dharma is that part of this path is meeting that need to some extent. It's intertwined with this spiritual path. It's intertwined with the path of the Dharma. And, and the place I hear this is when I read about how the, the Buddha speaks about spiritual friendship. The, the Pali word is, is Kalyanamita. I hear uh, in, in that, I hear echoes of creating such a community or such friendships of, of kindness, a kind of kindness that helps meet this very human need of recognition, understanding, of, of being appreciated. For example, there's a, there's a discourse uh, in which the, the Buddha goes and visits these, these three monastics. Actually, this is, he goes and visits them after an interesting time. There's this quarrel between all these, these monastics that I think, I think the Buddha is just sick and tired of. This is the quarrel Kosambi. And, and he goes and visits these other um, monastics, and they're, they're living in this park uh, of the Gosingasala tree wood. And it's the Venerable Anuruddha and the Venerable Nandiya and the Venerable uh, uh, Kambila. And what the Buddha is moved by was that they were, as it said in the discourse, they were, as it said, living in harmony, appreciating each other without quarreling, blending like milk and water, regarding each other with kindly eyes. Such friendship, and I'm sure you've tasted this, such friendship and community, it nourishes the heart. That's what it feels like to me. It's like I'm, I'm feeling nourished when I have 
the taste of that kind of community or friendship. And I want to point out, this is one of the dimensions. It's, to me, a fundamental dimension of, of one of the aspirations of the Flagstaff Insight Meditation community. To create community, it's the foundation, one of the foundations of this path of the Dharma. And you could say it's the, the opportunity to be nourished and to nourish others in this way. And I'll, I'll say a little bit more about this when, you know, after we meditate together, there's exciting things, I think, coming up for our community to nourish and be nourished. So again, this is an essential refuge on this path to find community. And where do you find this community and friendship where you can be recognized to some extent to be understood, to be appreciated? And this is the big and, <laughs> probably what the, the whole talk's about is the big and. <laughs> and what's the big and? You can probably guess what the big and is, is that it's unreliable. Ever notice this? Have you ever noticed? I know I've noticed this. No matter how much you try to nurture friendships and supportive community, you're still going to be subject to being unfairly blamed and criticized, to not being understood or fully recognized or fully seen. You're still subject to not being appreciated or people speaking harshly to you. Even with the best of friendships, the best of communities, at least this is what I've noticed. Have you noticed this? This is the human predicament that the Buddha's talking about. It's a, there's a teaching of the, the four vicissitudes of life that the, the Buddha talks about. And I'm just going to be talking about a, a couple of them. But what they are, are these, these uh, couplets, praise and blame, this is just what comes with, with living, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, status and disrepute. And I'm guessing all of you have experienced all of these this is the vicissitudes of life. These are the waves of life. And the interesting thing is, is even though this refuge of spiritual friendships unreliable, the, the Buddha is still encouraging us to nurture such friendships, such community, because it is a human need to some extent. And to fully and wholeheartedly offer such nourishment to others, because this is what we do. We create that refuge together. And at the same time, because of the big and I'm talking about unreliability, it's important to discover deeper refuges at the same time. So there's this refuge of, of, of spiritual friendship, but there needs to be these deeper refuges that are deeper than that that carry us through the, the waves of, of these four vicissitudes of, of living. You know, so, so that I need to find a, uh, a refuge that, that's deeper so that I'm, I'm not disrupted by these waves of being liked and not liked. Because that's the way it is. It's going to be that way. The waves of praise and blame. I'm sure most of you know this by now, that 
that how we can set ourselves up, at least I've noticed my mind do this, to set myself up in a negative way, to desperately want others to always understand me, to desperately want others to always recognize me, to always appreciating me. That's a setup, isn't it? And, And what's the hook? The hook is that one word, always. And often what I've noticed when the mind gets in that space, it's it's intertwined with a, a desperate need for external a- approval. And then that can cascade into like this desperation of, oh, I need to be nice to others. I don't wanna say being nice to others is a good thing, but but it's coming from this other motivation. Like, like I'm afraid, I'm afraid of not being liked. It can also be rooted in in this unskillful way of finding worthiness in our lives, where it can start to be this obsession of how others view us. Am I worthy or not? And then it's looking around, you know, what do other people think about me? And of course, this is going to arise for many of us because well you know why why does it arise this is something you can relate to and i i want to conjecture it's it's because uh it has to do with your history your particular history it's your particular history of millions of years of being biologically designed to be a mammal that is highly, highly social. If you were a lizard, I just saw a lizard this afternoon when I went for a walk, (laughs) you probably wouldn't have the same issue. You wouldn't be scurrying around trying to get warm in the sun and concerned about what the other lizards, if they appreciate you or not, or like you or not. I mean, I could be wrong. That's my guess. I do like to, when I see a lizard, to appreciate them. You never know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're a little concerned when I walk by. I'm guessing they're, they see reality a little bit differently than us. So I, I want to point out how hardwired this can be because we are such social creatures to normalize some of the stress around liked and not liked. It's a, it's a tricky territory, and I'm going to get into a, a little bit more of the, the trickiness a little bit later. And I know this might be starting to sound contradictory. Here I am. I'm, I'm beginning by, by telling you, here's this human need. It's an important refuge. And then I'm telling you it's unreliable. And I think this is the brilliance of the Buddha because there's, there's an awareness that we need to skillfully take care of this human need. It is an important refuge. Offering and receiving such a refuge. And at the same time, it's the, 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 the wisdom of this path is, is to discover deeper refuges. But these are going to work together, the sense of this refuge, but finding much deeper refuges. And I want to point out, this is not a one or the other kind of equation. 
seeing how these uh, refuges are, are supportive of each other. So what are the deeper refuges that we discover on this path of the Dharma? And one is to make sure that I'm cultivating for myself this quality of appreciation. Can I, can I fully recognize myself, appreciate myself? And this is uh, especially around what you find in terms of, of this path is, is around appreciation. There's um, these recollections, lists of recollections. And one of the recollections is uh, sila nusati, which is the recollection where I'm recollecting uh, my sila or ethical conduct, or to put it in simpler terms that maybe you can relate to, just my, my goodness the goodness that's here to the simple things I'm engaging in every day. When I'm, when I'm kind to someone, can I notice and recognize that and appreciate it? When I'm patient with someone, when I listen, when I'm kind, when I'm compassionate, because it's happening every day. When you, when you share those kind words, when you refrain from sharing those unkind words. That also <laughs> is a beautiful thing. And the skill is to appreciate it, or, or another word that's a uh, Pali word that's used is anumodana, uh, which uh, can be translated as to, you could say to, to celebrate your goodness. That's even a deeper refuge. When I have this beautiful relationship with myself, and what comes with that is, is, I find too, is the things I am refraining from. I find it helpful for myself and others when I'm not playing that game, and you know that game of unskillfully criticizing others, where it's just I'm airing my judgments. Who does that help? No one. And yes, there is a place to offer skillful feedback, to be honest with each other. This is part of the path of the Dharma. And the Buddha talks about this in terms of spiritual friendship. But it's different when I offer somebody something like that because I care about them. Or they offer me something because they care about me out of kindness. It feels so different. It has the flavor of being supportive rather than shaming. So this is a deeper refuge. And then even deeper refuges, and the one that we, we explore so much together here, especially on Monday nights, is that refuge of presence, of mindfulness. And, and the Buddha talks about it as a deeper refuge. And, and I'm sure you've had that feeling when you're, where there's a little bit more mindfulness or presence, where there can be a simple noticing of what's going on, rather than being hooked. And this is why uh, the Buddha in, in one discourse, he talks about mindfulness being one's ancestral domain. It's like our, our ancestral homeland that has a protection to it. And it's on this, uh, this ancestral domain that he says that, that, that Mara, the, this uh, embodiment of our unskillfulness, cannot reach us. When I'm on my ancestral land, I'm protected. It's a deeper refuge. 
And I invite you, even when we meditate this evening, can you feel the depth of that? It's like I, I can begin to, to sink below the wave and the storms, the waves and the storms that are, you could say, on the surface of the ocean to something deeper. I'm not buffeted. I'm not uh, uh, pushed and pulled about by those waves and the winds. I sink deeper to something more settled. That's, that's the quality of presence of mindfulness. And I want to point out, there's even deeper aspects to this presence. And so I want to say presence, it's a great refuge. And there's even a, we could say a deeper aspect to it is when I can start to have a quality of mindfulness or presence with a particular sensitivity. And I find this really helpful in terms of these interpersonal help, uh, hurts and harms. And that's this uh, particular way of perceiving, perceiving that experience has a selfless nature to it. There's not a self within experience. And another way, I think, uh, uh, at least the, the, the one particular flavor that I wanna share around not self is just to see that experience is not personal. I love this. I get this from Ruth King, the teacher of Ruth King, where, where she talks about realizing that experience, whatever's going on, it's not personal. And how can you start to, to cultivate that? Because if you noticed how often, have you noticed this? How often we take things so personally, and I want to share with you this really sweet cartoon, if I can bring it up. See if I can do this, which I think is such a wonderful little view of this. Can you see that? Maybe Sandy, can you give me a thumbs up if you can see that? Have you noticed that life can feel this way? <laughs> like there's only, you know, here, here's this person running down the street and the rain showers are just on them and the person's saying, why me? <laughs> And it feels like that, like the, the thundercloud is only over you, that it's a personal thing. I love it. This is this, is this and the caption is, is uh, local showers. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, all about me. And it gets so oppressive when I'm at the center of experience in that way, where it always feels that, that way. Because around human interactions, it's, it's just not that way. Really, the, the view of not taking things personally or the view of not self is seeing that, that experience is, is just a conglomeration of causes and conditions that are arising and passing away. This is the heart of the teaching of not self. There's not a me or mine here. It's just causes and conditions arising and passing away. So, for example, one thing that I try to remind myself when there's some kind of conflict like this, maybe when there's blame or criticism or harsh speech directed towards me, is, uh, and I don't know exactly where I got this, but I remind myself that it's like I'm a, uh, I'm just like an ink block on a Rorschach test for that other person. I don't know if any of you know about Rorschach tests, which are, it's a, that psychological test 
where you look at ink blocks and you describe what you see. And the studies, you know, the, the test is to study and examine a person's projections. That's all you are to that other person. You're an inkblot, and, and then they're going to have their particular perceptions and ideas to describe you as the inkblot in some kind of particular way. <laughs> People project all kinds of things on us. This is what we do to each other. There's a nice, this is attributed to Anais then. I'm not sure if she said it, but still a great quote. <laughs> She said, we do not see things as they are. We see them as we are. This is what can happen. And, and this helps when I'm in a situation where, for example, someone's angry with me and wants, and wants me to take it personally. And when my practice is strong, I, I don't get as hooked by this. So I want to give an example of this. I remember it was now many years ago, I, I was giving, I was offering a Dharma talk like this to a large group of people. And after the talk, I got this very angry note to me. Somebody was extremely angry with me. And it was because of this one line in this poem. It's a poem I love. They were so angry that I recited this particular line. And, and in the note, they wanted to point out, because I had read that poem, how horrible of a person I was and, and, and what a, a disgrace I was as a teacher. So this is AKA blame, <laughs> criticism, here it is. And, and when I had the capacity to have a quality of presence and this particular way of perceiving the sensitivity that this is not personal, it's not me, it's not mine, it just causes and conditions, I could feel my heart could soften, right? It's just these causes and conditions that are giving rise to this, right? There's a whole host of conditions within the interaction that happened. You can say there's these different life histories that are colliding together. And that person, he might have had a bad night of sleep. I don't know. He might have been really hungry during the talk. Maybe he suffers from chronic pain and it was flaring up that evening. It could be because we had such different personalities. I noticed uh, one study where uh, people have a tendency, it's only a tendency, but it's a tendency to like other people who have similar personality traits as them. Maybe just a, such differences here and probably different views of the world. It's really not about me. And when my heart is fully embodying this understanding of not self, so a full embodiment of it, the full embodiment that, that experience is not personal, it's then that I realized that's when my heart can become really curious about his worldview, his perspective, to take time to understand him. to feel into that, that line of that poem from his perspective. 
to see if I can feel, oh, okay, oh, this is maybe how it impacted him in such a negative way when I shared that line of that poem. And this is, I think, what can start to arise when I start to get a, a visceral feeling of experience simply unfolding with not without a me at the center of experience. Then I can open in this way. Right? I, and it's there I can settle back into this deeper refuge of simply being aware and recognizing not self in this particular way. Because what I notice when I'm caught up in myself, it's so hard to understand other people. I understand my perspective of them. How they, I don't understand what I'm saying. How they don't appreciate this great poem and this great line. <laughs> how they're not really listening or trying to understand me. Right. Then I'm at the center and often I suffer and the other person suffers. And hopefully you're hearing, of course, it's, it's important to reflect on what I've done and its impact, but that's different than using such situations to create who I am. Those are two radically different things. And often what my mind does is it's trying to create a certain kind of me where I'm either horrible or great. You might hear that, oh, I'm such a horrible person to share that poem. Oh, I'm such a great person to share that poem. And he does, just doesn't get it. <laughs> Both. I'm still at the center. It makes it worse when I take things personally. And in that space, it's, it's not about agreeing or disagreeing with the other. I can come to fully understand someone and, and still have a different view. but it's different, it feels different. And I think what can start to happen also when we bring this sensitivity to not me, not mine, not to take it personally, is that even such questions of, am I worthy or unworthy? Am I likable or not? They just don't have a place. It's like my mind isn't really interested in those questions. It's, it's not trying to figure out the answer to those questions because those questions are still centering me in a way. And yes, I, I want to point out this is, this is complex because there still is a place for a sense of self. That's a different talk. We'll do, could do that on a different Monday night. But it's starting to get a taste of, of experience in a way that, that such questions aren't narrowing my lived experience around meanness. And, and this is where there can be navigating these, these ways from a deeper refuge. You know, as, as the Buddha says in the Dhammapada, as a solid mass of rock is not moved by the wind, so a sage, so a wise one is not moved by praise and blame. Also, though, as I venture into this, I, I want to bring a complexity here, though, too, because I want to acknowledge, and, and just to be honest, and maybe some of you can relate to this, I know I can, that this can be an extremely challenging realm around blame and criticism and harsh speech towards us, disrepute. 
and and I th- I think it can be incredibly difficult when we have some incident, some interaction that ruptures a sense of safety of let's say criticism. So something's been ruptured. It's not just a hurt, but there's a rupture of safety. Or it cues up past experiences of ruptures of safety in the interpersonal realm. And and I want to say this is its own beast because sometimes blame and criticism, what's happening is is igniting, igniting, you could say, one of the biggest threats for mammals like us who are highly social creatures. And what's that threat? It's the threat of being kicked out of the group or the community or the tribe or the family. That's, that's, your system is designed to see that as one of the biggest threats to its survival. And it can queue up when something happens. It's often going to queue up all the other times that's happened in your life, especially in the developmental years. So I, I want to slow down and acknowledge this just to, to share to share and to really normalize if you've experienced how deep of a wound can happen sometimes around these these interpersonal uh, uh, things that that this happens because you're a mammal because of the threat and often when i can can sense this what naturally arises is not the tool of mindfulness that i've been talking about but often the tool of self-compassion I get it. Oh, this hurts for good reason. So important to soften around this. And it also circles back to where I began. Often when I get deeply hurt by something, even if it looks minor, but it's hurt, what do I go back to? Spiritual friendship. It's so important spiritual friendship in terms of this, or community, to find those who appreciate you that can be kind to you in difficult times. It's so important, this sense of being held, if we have a chance of being held during those times. This is why I, I find it interesting in the commentaries, there's one antidote that's the same for all of the hindrances. What's that one antidote that's the same for all the hindrances? spiritual friendship. That's how important it is. It corrects those wounds that we can carry in these hearts and these bodies. That reminds me, and some of you have probably heard this before, they, they did this study in Bosnia after the war. Um, and uh, they were doing the study around trauma and healing trauma, and they're looking at different interventions like, you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and other therapies, and trying to get a sense of, uh, they're, they're looking at women who had, had many traumatic experiences. And do you, know, do you know what they found to be the most uh, healing? The women's knitting circle. It makes sense, doesn't it, to weave one's lives back together again in community. This is Kalyanamita. And this is important to remember because sometimes with these teachings, uh, what can happen is this idea of like, oh, it's the advanced practitioners 
that navigate such challenges through this insight into not self. And it's the beginners who navigate such challenges through uh, a community. But it's not like that. You could say the advanced practitioner is simply the one who has the skill of knowing which tool to utilize when. And to be careful of the mind that makes this hierarchy. That's what a skillful practitioner is, is, is there's this whole, whole tool set of tools that can be utilized. How can you get a sense of which one to, to pull out? To allow the sense of, of a deeper way of being in the world to allow you to ride these inevitable waves of being a human being. I think this, this all fits with this, uh, uh, this advice that Maya Angelou had given to her daughter. This is from a, a, an essay called Letter to My Daughter, where she says, She's speaking to her daughter. You may not control, control all the events that happen to you. This is really what we're talking about. You can't control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. So may we find these deeper refuges to free our hearts and to find a different way of being in the world. Thank you. Thank you for your attention.